Good morning and welcome again. We are grateful that you're here today. It's a beautiful day. We're thankful for the opportunity to be together. We are going to be looking at Luke chapter 9 in just a moment or two. I do want to welcome you. If you're a visitor, as always, please come back. If you're looking for a church home, we would love to have you come and be a part of our work here. I know that Brother Dio and Brother Billy would be more than happy to sit down and answer any questions that you might have about the work and about what we're doing as a congregation in terms of support, etc. So we'd love to have you. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 9, the passage that was read a moment ago by Jordan, specifically verses 23 through 26. I do want to just very quickly make mention that we have begun a series of studies on characters of Scripture, characters that are very prominent in Scripture. And the last three weeks we talked about God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Tonight we're going to be looking at the first couple. And we're going to be looking at Genesis chapters 1 through 3. So I invite you to come back tonight. We'd love to have you as we continue this series of studies. And we'll be looking at just a number of people over the course of this next year. So please make plans to come back and be with us tonight. I want to talk today about the real cost of following Jesus. And I want to begin by asking this question. Is it possible that Christianity, as we know it today, has been cheapened? Is it possible that when people think about Jesus and what the Bible has to say about Him and His life and work, that we're now looking at a cheapened version of what Jesus really was and who Jesus really is. I want you to think about that as we begin our study today. And we're going to be talking, as I said a moment ago, about the real cost of following Jesus. And somebody might ask the question, what will it take for me to follow Jesus? What kind of cost is involved? I think those are relative questions. It might be that you have a friend or family member, maybe someone that you go to school with or work with, and they've asked you from time to time about your belief, about your faith in God, your service in the kingdom of God, and maybe they want to know, what would it, what would it cost me to become a child of God and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I want to submit to you today that the real Jesus is not cheap. And following Jesus is in no way cheap. It's going to cost you something. Matter of fact, I would sum it up like this. It will cost you everything. So with that in mind, let's look at Luke chapter 9. Now, Jesus, of course, throughout His ministry did a lot of preaching and teaching. In verse 22, Jesus had talked about how the Son of Man had to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised again the third day. And so the very nature of Christianity reminds us that it cost God greatly. It cost the Son immensely. Well, what was that? Well, God lost His Son to death. Jesus lost His life on Calvary, but He was raised from the dead. 
And because of that, he was triumphant, and we too can be triumphant. So I want to begin by first and foremost calling your attention to the golden invitation. Now many of us, we like to receive invitations, maybe to some type of, some type of social affair. We like to be invited to spend time with friends and family members, and even co-workers from time to time. But in Luke chapter 9, Jesus talks about this golden invitation. And really, in light of this, we think about the people who are called. So, with that in mind, I want to begin by looking at verse 23 with you. Let's talk about the source and scope of this invitation. The Bible says that Jesus said to them all, Now note, if anyone desires to come after me. Well, the source of this call would be Jesus. Jesus was interested in people becoming his disciples. In other words, the Lord was desirous of people following him, wasn't he? Jesus would say back in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And the promise being, I will give you rest. Over and over again in Scripture, we read about invitations to follow the Lord. I think about in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus called Peter and Andrew and James and John. They were fishermen, weren't they? And the Bible says they left their nets and followed Him. And Jesus took this small band of disciples, 12 men, and through the efforts of these individuals, literally turned the world upside down. In Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus instructed the apostles to go out and to preach about the kingdom of God, the point was the kingdom's coming. It is at hand. And the hands into which the work was entrusted, these 12 men. And so the Lord is interested in people following Him. He is the source of the call, the scope of the call. The beauty of Christianity is... It is inclusive. Now we talk a lot today about people who are exclusive versus inclusive. And there is a lot, there's a lot of talk, a lot of chatter about trying to, trying to be inclusive of all types of people. Nothing wrong with that. But when you look at the call to become a disciple of the Lord, the point is, that call is open to any and all. Remember what Jesus said, John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world. That is, God's interested in all people. Matter of fact, Paul would say in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that God desires all men, that is, humankind, male, female. God is desirous of all men being saved and coming to the knowledge of the truth. So, the people who are called, to understand that you are on God's radar. God wants you to follow Him. He wants you to become one of His disciples. But then, we talk first and foremost about the people who are called. But what about the prerequisites to the call? Are there certain demands? 
placed upon us by the Lord. Well, I said a minute ago that Christianity is not cheap. Now, we may be living in a day and time when people have cheapened the grace of God and what it means to be a disciple of the Lord. But Christianity cost us immensely. Well, how so? It cost us our life, doesn't it? So number one, there is the demand for full surrender. Listen to what Jesus said. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So we have to be willing to surrender our hearts, our lives to the Lord, don't we? You remember in Luke chapter 5, Peter had been out fishing all night long. And they were cleaning up. They'd been out all night, hadn't caught a thing. And Jesus instructed these men to launch out into the deep and let down their nets. And they caught a tremendous amount of fish. And Peter, of course, was an experienced fisherman. He said, you know what? We've been toiling all night, haven't caught a thing. Nevertheless, at your word, that's what it means to be submissive to the Lord. Whatever God says, that's what I'm going to do. If God tells me to live in obedience to His Word, then I want to do that to the best of my ability. I want to surrender my life to Him. We sing a song sometimes, don't we? All to Jesus I surrender, I surrender all. Have you genuinely surrendered everything to the Lord Jesus Christ? So there is this demand for full surrender and also full sacrifice. Now sometimes, sadly, we allow people and things to come between us and the Lord, don't we? Jesus talked about that in Matthew chapter 10. He said, He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. You mean to tell me that I've got to be willing to sacrifice all for the cause of Christ? That's exactly right. Do you remember Paul in writing to the saints in Philippi? He said, what things were gained to me, these I've counted lost. He said, I count all things, A-L-L, -L, all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Saul of Tarsus was a man of renowned reputation, wasn't he? He had been privileged to sit at the feet of Gamaliel, an esteemed teacher of the law. Saul was well-versed in Judaism, so much so that he was persecuting those who were following the way. And Saul had the credentials to be what we might say an esteemed teacher of the law himself. When he came to Christ, he was willing to sacrifice anything and everything for his cause. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul would say, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So that's what we're talking about here. Full surrender, full sacrifice. Matter of fact, listen to what Jesus says in verse 24. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Was it possible in the first century that those who became disciples of Jesus would ultimately experience persecution and human suffering? Well, the answer is yes. 
You remember the Apostle Paul when he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, talked about the persecutions and afflictions that he had encountered at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. In verse 12 of that same chapter, he would say, All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Not only did saints in the first century suffer persecution, some were martyred. Some ultimately lost their physical life for the cause of Christ. In Acts chapter 12, we read about James, the brother of John, who was put to death by Herod with the sword. And so, if the need were to arise, what Jesus is saying is we've got to be willing to literally lay down our life for His sake. Matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 2, at verse 10, when Jesus said, Be faithful unto death, that is, in the face of death, you stay true to Me. You live for Me no matter what it costs you. Now think about Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 when He said, Fear not him who is able to destroy the body, but afterwards not able to destroy the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body. Where? In hell, in Gehenna, the hell of fire. And so it might be that we lose our life for the cause of Christ, but as John said in the Revelation in chapter 14, verse 13, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord, yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works follow them. All God's saying is, look, if you lose your life for my sake, I've got you. You're covered. I'll take care of you. Now there's a second thing I want to call attention to. First, the golden invitation. But secondly, there is a grave temptation. Listen now to what Jesus says in verse 25. For what advantage or what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he himself is destroyed or lost? Now we're talking about an alluring transaction. The world comes, comes at us from every angle, doesn't it? And the devil is the master of deceit. And so when you think about trying to live as a disciple of Jesus, trying to follow the Lord, the devil is doing everything within his power to allure, to trap, to bait, to ensnare. Does it every day. And the devil uses the enticements of the world, doesn't he? Didn't John write in 1 John chapter 2, Love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. So here's the devil, and he is enticing us with the various elements of the world. And the devil is saying, you know what? You need to live for today. You need to live for yourself. I mean, after all, you only go around one time in life. You've only got 70 or 80 years. And so what you've got to do is cram everything into that short period of time that you possibly can. You've got to somehow try to condense all this and enjoy life. You remember what? Do you remember in the long ago, that rich farmer? Jesus told a parable. He said, A man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And he was warning against covetousness, this innate desire for more and more. 
And so in order to impress upon his hearers the importance of serving him and devoting their lives to him, putting him first, he told a parable about a rich farmer whose barns were bulging. And this guy said, you know what, I'm going to pull down my barns and build bigger barns. And then I'm going to bestow all of my fruits and goods. And then here's his attitude, eat, drink, and be merry. Now Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talks about the resurrection and the validity of the resurrected Christ and the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead and upon the basis of His resurrection, we too will one day be raised from the dead. So Paul in verse 32 says, look, if the dead are not raised, well, we might as well eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Now that's what the devil wants you to incorporate into your life, that kind of philosophy. You're here for a brief period of time, only a short allotted time. So what you've got to do is serve your own will. Do your own thing. Well, you want to be a disciple of Jesus? It's not about doing your own thing. It's not about living a selfish life, but rather it's about living a selfless life. The cheapened form of Christianity is you do your own thing. You live as you want to live, and if you can somehow work the Lord in, then that's all well and good. Well, what the Lord is saying is, anything that comes before me, anything will cost you your soul. You remember the rich fellow that came to Jesus on one occasion, wanted to know what he needed to do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus asked him about the commandments. And he said, well, all these I've observed from my youth up. And Jesus said, yet you lack one thing. Go sell everything you have. He said, you'll have treasure in heaven and follow me. The Bible says he went away very sorrowful. One thing, that one thing ultimately cost him becoming a disciple of Jesus. So, you know, we talk about forfeiting our soul for the world. You don't have to literally gain the world to lose your soul. It doesn't have to be a number of things. It can just be one thing. It could be family members that come between you and God. It could be your friends. It could be your finances. It could be a whole host of things. And Jesus is saying, look, if you take the bait and you have this attitude, it's all about today, He said, it's going to cost you something greatly. That something is your soul. So there is this alluring transaction. And the devil is out every day trying to bait and entrap you. And the devil's saying, you know what, here's something that you really need. Here's a lifestyle that you need to somehow get in tune with. So there's not just an alluring transaction, but there is an alarming transaction. Let's just say, hypothetically, we could gain the world at the expense of our soul. Would it be worth it? What would you give for your soul? I think that there are a lot of folks in the world today, they put so much emphasis on the outward man, they have forgotten about the inward man. And Paul talks about the outward man. You remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 4? He said the outward man is perishing. The inward man is being renewed day by day. Is it possible that as I live, 
this outward man, this physical flesh that my spirit dwells in, is it possible that it is wearing down and ultimately going to come to a crashing halt? Yes. But Paul said the inward man, that inward spirit can be as alive and vigorous and strong as the body once was in youth. But again, there are a lot of people in our world today, it's all about the outward man and not about the inward man. You ever heard a dollar figure placed on the amount of cosmetics that are bought worldwide? It's in the billions of dollars. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of things that we spend our money on. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with trying to look good and wear nice clothes, etc. But I am saying if all of our emphasis is on the outward man to the neglect of the inward man, then we have a real problem. Because you see, one day they're going to take this body of mine and they'll put it in a grave. Or it'll be cremated or whatever. But the point is, this outward flesh, this outward body, not going to be here forever. But that inward man, that soul going to live forever. So what we ought to do is put more emphasis on the inward man rather than the outward man. That's why Jesus talks about the importance of being one of His disciples. So what about this alarming transaction? Let's just say, hypothetically again, that you buy into the world and what the world has to offer. You take the bait that the devil's selling. And the devil's saying you need this, you need that. You need to live for today. You need to worry about yourself and yourself only. So you take that bait. It's all about making money, acquiring material goods, position and power, etc. So you're accumulating all these things. And then death comes like it did to the rich farmer. You remember what Jesus said, the things that you have accumulated, who will now possess them? Oh, you'll leave it all behind. Everything you have, lock, stock, barrel, it'll all be left behind. So Jesus said, so is he who lays up treasure for himself, not rich toward God. If you're not doing some banking in heaven, then you have a real problem. So if you take the bait and you live for self and if you live for the world, you will suffer not only a complete loss, but it will be a catastrophic loss. Just recently, how many lives were affected by the tornadoes that cut a swath through Kentucky? How many people lost everything they had? If you saw pictures of that devastation, looked like a war zone, didn't it? I mean, we're talking about those people lost everything. It was a complete loss. It was a catastrophic loss. Now, you know, it's one thing to lose a house, to lose a, an automobile. It's one thing to lose some physical possessions that we've accumulated over the years. But to lose the soul? If you lose your soul, 
it will not only be a complete loss, it will be a catastrophic loss. Imagine you're standing before the throne. You know what the Bible had to say about discipleship, about being a follower of Jesus, about being committed to Him, denying self, taking up the cross, and following Him on a daily basis. You knew that Christianity entailed giving the Lord everything. As he said in Matthew 6, seek first, that is before anything else. You put the kingdom first. You knew all that, but you didn't do it. And Jesus says, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. Is there any other way to say it? And that is a complete and catastrophic loss. If you lose your soul, you will have lost the most valuable thing that you possess. God is the one who made us from the dust of the earth. And He has housed within our physical body a spirit. And that spirit will live forever. So how well are you taking care of your soul? Where is the emphasis in your life? Is it on the outward or the inward? Is it on the material or the spiritual? Here's the beauty of it. We all get to make the decision. It is an individual decision, isn't it? I mean, nobody can make that decision for you. You have to decide. That's the way the Lord wants it. And Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So there's this grave temptation. There is a third thing I want you to consider with me, and that is the guaranteed revelation. Look now at verse 26, and listen to Jesus. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words... Of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory, and in the fathers and of the holy angels. Number one, the truth about discipleship. If we're going to serve the Lord, we can't, as some people try to do, separate the Lord from his word. There is a relationship that exists between us and the Lord, and His Word. Do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 8 about discipleship? Then are you my disciples indeed? How so? If you continue in my Word. The Bible says in 1 John 2 verse 3, Hereby we do know that we know Him. How so, Lord? If we keep His commandments. Now Jesus said you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. You can't dichotomize the Lord from His Word. You can't do that. I know that there are people that want to, but Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words. Now, in Mark's account, Mark said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Sounds like 21st century, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't that give you insight into what the first century world was like? What about 21st century? Any changes? Not at all. 
Are we living in an adulterous and sinful generation? The answer is yes. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, he said that they were to be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, listen to him, in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation. Our world today is crooked. John said the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The world is engulfed in spiritual darkness. And Jesus said men love darkness rather than light. And so what we've got to do is make a decision. Are we going to follow the Lord? Are we going to be in tune with the Lord and His will and walk according to His ways? Didn't Jesus ask on one occasion, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Do not the things which I say. And didn't Jesus say in Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Does it matter whether or not I subjugate my life to His? Yes. Does it matter whether or not I subordinate my will to His will? Well, sure it does. So what about the triumph of a disciple? Now, in Luke's account here, Luke is telling us that as a disciple of Jesus, we can be triumphant. There is the promise of His coming, and there is the promise at His coming. Listen again to what Jesus said. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. So you got really two classes of people pictured at the day of judgment. The righteous, the unrighteous. The unrighteous and those who are not what they ought to be, the Lord's not going to confess them before the Father. But Jesus said that those who confess Him before men, He said, I'll confess before my Father. In Matthew 10. One day the Lord's coming. Peter said he'll come as a thief in the night. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes, what's going to matter most importantly? When it's all said and done, you clear away the smoke. What is the most important thing relative to the second coming? Most important thing to be found numbered among the saved. To be numbered among God's people. They're the only ones who have any hope. So does it matter whether or not I become a disciple of Jesus? Yes. And when we talk about the cost of following Jesus, it is not cheap. What's it going to cost you? It will cost you everything. Everything you have. It's going to cost you the supremacy of your love. You're to love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. You're to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. As Paul said in Colossians 3, verse 4, Christ is to be your life. The Lord's not interested in getting just a portion of your life. He doesn't want just a piecemeal life, but rather He wants the entirety of your life. He wants everything, lock, stock, and barrel. As Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you're not your own, you are bought with a price. He said, therefore glorify God in your body and spirit, listen to Him, which are God's. When you become a disciple of Jesus, what the Lord's saying is, I own you. You're mine. You belong to me. Matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer is addressing the general assembly and church of the firstborn. 
The firstborn belonged to God under the old covenant. In the new covenant, under the new covenant, God's saying, as a member of the body of Christ, you're mine. You belong to me. And I want you to live for me day in, day out. I want you to deny yourself on a daily basis, take up that cross, and follow me. Are you willing to do that? Are you doing that? It costs a lot to live for the Lord. Let me ask this question in closing. Will it be worth it? Will it be worth giving the Lord everything? Yes, it will. Think about people in our world today. I was reading just this past week about a gentleman. If I were to call his name, you'd know who I'm talking about. He is worth over $100 billion. I can't begin to wrap my mind around that. Can you? This man is now 91 years of age. You've got a lot to decide of eternity. But listen, it's not about what you have here, it's about what you have over there. He's got everything this side of eternity. He's got everything that he might ever possibly want. He's got power, position. He's got an incredible net worth. But I'm not, I'm not interested in that. What I want to know is, what does he have over there? What do you have over there? You might have a large bank account. You might have a beautiful home. You might drive a fine automobile. You wear the finest of clothes. But if you don't have Christ, you don't have anything. You are poor spiritually and don't know it. Flip side of that is, Somebody could be 90, 91 years of age, and they have little of this world's goods, but they have a large bank account in heaven. And as they grow older, if anything, they just get richer because they're about to cash in that life of service. So what about you? Not about what you have today, it's about what you have Tomorrow, will you give your life to Jesus? If you're here today and you haven't responded to the invitation, you have never obeyed the gospel of Jesus, why not do that today? We make the same plea every week for people to become members of the body of Christ, to understand that sin is the problem and the answer is the blood of Jesus. When we submit to the will of Almighty God, when we repent of our sins and are baptized into Christ, the Bible says we enjoy the cleansing of all of our sins, Acts twenty two sixteen. We become a member of the church of which God has promised to save, Ephesians 5, 23. And the exhortation is be faithful till death. So what about you? Are you living for Him? If you're unfaithful, could I encourage you to come home? Could we pray with you and for you today as we stand and sing?